friends, family, enemies, and strangers of all kinds. Welcome back to The Extra Milestone, your weekly Cinemaholic spinoff where we take a trip back to the past to visit the classic films that have made the cinematic landscape what it is today. I am your host as always, Sam Noland, and with me I have two very special guests that I always love when I get to talk to. First up, we have the regular co-host of Cinemaholics, and I use the word regular only only uh, when it comes to uh, frequency of appearances. This man is nothing if not uh, unique and magnificent. It is Will Ashton. Will, how are you? That's a very flattering opening. Uh, thank you, Sam. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest. It's been a long time since we podcasted. Yeah. And I just missed you. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, yeah, I feel bad because I haven't. It, it's been timing both cases. But yeah, I mean, I haven't been able to come on the main app for a little bit or any of the, the side ups you've done recently. So I'm excited to be back talking extra milestones. Indeed. And I'm excited to have you. But with us, we have an equally as special guest if not more special, it is making her triumphant return in for the first time in what is always uh, far too long of a wait. It is our good friend, Julia Tady. Julia, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me back. I can't wait to talk to you guys about this movie. It's a great one. It's a really great one. And yeah, we're just, we're just going to jump right into it. So this is the uh, sort of the big monthly extra milestone episode that we do uh with with the old gang or at least um uh the the old gang minus john and emily but they they could not make it for a variety of reasons but regardless in they would want us to go on without them and so i think that's that's what we're going to end up doing we are talking about celebrating 90 years back in april because we're a little behind but so be it we are talking about the uh, Best Picture Academy Award winner, the all-time classic anti-war film, All Quiet on the Western Front. It is uh, one of the most important films of all time. And I want to know right off the bat, let's start with you, Will Ashton. Uh, uh, what is your connection to this movie, whether or not just hearing about it or uh, if you've seen it in the past? What's, what's your relationship with the Western Front and the quietness that in- ensues with it? Yeah, I actually surprisingly have a very little connection to the film before seeing it. I mean, I knew the title for sure. And, you know, it was always one of those movies that was referenced with war films and anti-war films and being such a triumphant achievement and, you know, inspiring so many war films that uh, come out even today. I mean, we'll probably talk about a few that it, it clearly inspired. But, hmm. um, yeah, I mean, my relationship to it was uh, not not one. <laughs> I didn't really have much relationship going into this. Fair enough. Yeah, we sometimes that's that's part of the fun is being able to come to something for the first time. I'm excited to hear what you thought. Uh, Julia, what is your connection? Sure. So as we were kind of discussing before we actually got onto the episode, the very first time that I watched this was about four years ago when I did a project watching every single film that ever won Best Picture. And it is the third film to ever have that honor bestowed upon it. Uh, It's probably one of my very early favorites from those first couple of years that the academy had been created it's such a harrowing picture such a very visceral depiction of world war one uh and i don't really think we talk about it as often as i feel like we should but as will said it's one of those films where it's almost always referenced within kind of the contemporary landscape of war 
pictures and dramas, uh, especially throughout the latter half of the 20th century and the first mm. half of the 21st century, when we've kind of seen this revitalization within the subgenre of anti-war pictures. Very interesting. Yeah, you're absolutely right. This is uh, an enormously influential movies, not just on uh, not just on film as an art form, but all kinds of anti-war uh, ephemera. You see everything from uh, books to to folk songs to to paintings and everything in between. Uh, a lot of the imagery, a lot of the sentiment of the anti-war ethos uh, stems directly from this movie. I have a very similar experience, not just in uh, the reason I watched it, which was for a, a history project actually back in high school, but also the exact same time. I also first watched it almost exactly four years ago. So that is a fascinating little bit of synergy. Uh, and that's why we do the extra milestone. Um and yeah, I watched it. I remember being into it, but I, for I, for whatever reason, the details uh, just sort of floated out of my brain. And so I was delighted to get to go see it again and to discover how great it was. I just want to kind of set that out right on the bat. This movie is really magnificent, hasn't aged a day. And I know I, I can tell Julia you're on the same page. Will, I want to know what, what was your reaction? Just sort of your knee jerk uh, kind of thing uh, to All Quiet on the Western Front, having never seen it before. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like you said, like I, I knew it was going to be good uh, based on the fact that it was the, <laughs> like the one of the first uh, Best Picture winners and then being uh. the first film to uh, win both director and picture, which I mean, yes. usually it doesn't happen with bad films, more or less. But um, there are exceptions. But yes, generally speaking, if a movie wins Best Picture. But I mean, obviously, there was something here that was, you know, uh, that, that struck a chord and I figured that was going to be the case. And yeah, I mean. I think there's a couple things in my age, just in terms of like, there's a very old fashioned kind of like hokiness to some of the acting. Not, I don't say that in a derogatory kind of way, just kind of more of like of its time, just that yeah. like, you know, some of the younger actors have like this, I think it, it worked for the film, but there's like this kind of like old fashioned, like kind of like, uh, like overacting almost to some of the, the younger performers, I think makes of its time. But the, the, as far as the sentiments and themes that are expressed in the film, it absolutely uh, is still quite magnificent in its accomplishments. And uh, there are just a few shots, even at the beginning of the film, just as it starts, I just like really just took me aback and impressed me. And we'll talk about those, I'm sure, in a few. But just throughout the film, I mean, I just was really impressed with what I was able to accomplish and how I was able to do so much in, uh, of its time and given the limitations that were around. Because this is about like maybe like the advent film was maybe like 20, 30 years old at this point. Yeah, somewhere around there, like yeah. a quarter of a century. Yeah. So, yeah, I was definitely impressed by it for sure. It's a really, really breathtaking production, uh, especially having seen uh, or having read about some of the behind the scenes. I think it's funny that you mentioned the how the acting is sort of of its time, but also lends the movie a sort of... Uh, a sort of a sort of time capsule yet also timeless quality uh i think there are a few things about this that might seem like flaws but in a weird way actually sort of go to make the movie better um but first i want to know so so uh so julia you had a positive reaction of course um might as well get it out of the way right out of the bat are there any things that sort of that that you have a, like some reservations on that you weren't quite as high on uh, even if it's just small little aspects of the movie not particularly. I mean, Will brings up a really great point about the acting of some of the younger uh, 
uh, characters in the in the film, the performances. Um, but I completely agree. I think it was definitely represents that it was of its time, but still has, as you said, a lot of timeless qualities and why it has really stood the test of time in terms of the epicness that it creates in terms of how director Lewis Milestone is able to create those sprawling landscapes that just never seem to end. Those action sequences are absolutely incredible. Um, What really struck me uh, is how the film, and I would love to hear both of your opinions on this, is how the film is able to create this really grand epic, but also have a lot of very personal introspection when it comes to um, the character of Paul specifically, who the audience kind of is meant to align with. And just watching these young boys, you know, they were no much just a few years younger than most of us, I would say, um, kind of going through this harrowing experience and bearing witness to, you know, humanity and innocence being lost incrementally throughout the film. It's it's I think it it's what makes it so great. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think there's a certain level of, um, I I would say, universality to this, Um, even though it was a very specific time and place. And it's very, I think there's something very specifically about World War One that uh, is sort of unique to this movie and this story. But even besides that, there is, there are a few scenes in particular that I think, man, any any time period, any place, anywhere, uh, all throughout history would really benefit from having a story just like this. Um, I want to kind of get into a few details now for, now for, uh, to start off with, I think we should clarify because I, for, I always forget to mention it up front. Uh, we are going to be getting into the details of the plot. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a movie that can be ruined by like finding out what happens. Uh, but as always, by all means, uh, if you'd rather have seen it beforehand, Totally your call. Well, how do they start a war? Well, one country offend another. How could one country offend another? You mean there's a mountain over in Germany gets mad at a field over in France? Yes, Mother. Are you wounded? No, Mother, I got leave. Here I lie and cry instead of being glad. <laughs> I'll take these off, Mother. You're a soldier now, aren't you? How's it at home? Have a good leave? And spots. What's the matter? Oh, I'm no good for back there anymore, Cat. None of us are. We've been in this too long. The young men thought I was a coward because I told them that we learned that death is stronger than duty one's country. The old men said, go on, push on to Paris. My father even wanted me to wear my uniform around. <laughs> so the movie starts, it is in uh, Germany. And I think we, one thing I want to make clear right away is uh, that has kind of weirded me out uh, both times, but this time I saw actually a certain interesting layer to this. They're German characters, and yet they're all speaking English. And this is an American movie. Uh, I think partly it's just because they they didn't really see the need to like get uh, actors who could speak German and stuff because it would have been probably would have been kind of off putting just that language barrier and also the idea of eliciting uh, sympathy 
for the for this side that had lost the war and at the time was sort of rising in power around the world in a very as we know now very insidious evil way but also i think what it does is it does allow audiences to sort of connect to those characters american audiences at least i should specify uh this is an american movie and uh i think it's i think it's very interesting to see just within seconds how it's building that layer of uh that that thin layer between the screen and the viewer uh so we start off and there is a professor played by i have the actor written down here actor named arnold lucy this very uh impassioned professor who's totally gung-ho about the war uh it is world war one if, if we didn't specify already and is just saying like you have to be soldiers and you have to fight for what he calls the fatherland so very patriarchal right off the bat and you see as as you mentioned julia all these kids sitting there like they're like around my age probably maybe even younger uh and uh just completely enthralled by this like yeah we're gonna go fight in the war of course having no idea how horrific it is and everything and so it just sets this tone right off the bat of uh how the war sort of infects the young mind especially this war in particular um i want to know will at this point uh what like so so you mentioned uh i just kind of want to get a line on this you mentioned that you knew like that the movie existed and the title and everything and the basic story. <laughs> yes. I, I, I realize yeah. that sounds funny as I say, it, but yeah. yeah. Um, but at this point, so, so, so what are you thinking at this point? Like, uh, like, okay, so we're just getting into it. This is going to be, were, were you thinking this was going to be like a really thrilling war picture? Or what was your, what was your line of thought? No, I mean, I, I knew to a certain extent that wasn't a glorification of war, but I didn't know to like what extent they could, accomplish that like i mean like you said like i mean it's i guess kind of pre-code right but yeah this is this is a 1930 so it was before the Hayes code the production code uh which is rather notorious by modern standards uh before that was really heavily enforced so there's actually a lot of really gruesome stuff that even five years later they would not have been able to get away yeah right so i knew like of the time like it's not going to be like it's not going to be saving private ryan (laughs) like it's not going to be like this entirely visceral but i didn't know it was going to be quite as intensive as it is but i think it's for the better for sure mm-hmm. but i mean i think the thing that most struck me like the moment i knew that it was really going to be something impactful was the scene i think you're referring to is right that opening shot where like the, the camera is like showing the crowd and it kind of like the sound of it so overwhelmingly kind of uh echoes into the classroom and like to the point where it's just like there's kind of like reverberating throughout like the sentiment of like you know like you got to fight like, this is like what the homeland is about. Like, this is who you have to be. And like, you know, like seeing like this almost like kind of like PSA look at these like, yeah, like this yeah. adoration of like kids, like seeing the war and stuff like that. And I I, I knew from that point, yeah, it was going to be something special, I think. But uh, I think it mostly met like what my expectations were. I mean, it was just a l- maybe more graphic than I anticipated at the time. But I mean, for me, I like that. Like, I was afraid it was going to be almost like a little bit like sanitized. In yeah, a way that would make take. it feel dated, but I, I didn't get that sense from it. Yeah, that that would be like kind of hard to take uh, as seriously as you might want to. Um, that's very interesting you say that. Yeah, it's, the, it's, it's almost like this irresistible calling that they're experiencing from of this thing that they have no idea about. Uh, now, we mentioned that this is a uh, rather famously an anti-war film. It is based on uh, a 1929 novel uh, by writer Eric Maria Remarque. Uh, as our 
quick bit of research shows. Um, and it's one of it's 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 always comes up when uh, the topic of war movies or anti-war movies, which are uh, sometimes the same thing, always comes up. Um, I think this is this is definitely one of the most successful, though, in the way that it portrays combat. Now, I want to I want to know from uh, from you, Julia Tatey. Uh, I've actually I've never really gotten a line. What is sort of like I know it's a broad question to ask, but just generally speaking, uh, what is sort of your line on the war genre? Like, are you typically a fan of it or is it not really your thing or something in between? Oh, I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm a fan exactly. I've always been a uh, casual viewer of it, I guess. Uh, But I would say there's never really a particular film or picture that I feel particularly attached to or what have you. I've definitely paid attention a little bit more uh, as I've gotten older to the differentiation between films that kind of have this glorification or romanitization of war efforts and experiences and stories versus a lot of different pictures like All Quiet on the Western Front, which really depict this anti-war fervor without even really knowing it or, or kind of having this very subtle cue of reminding the audience the absolute tragedy and devastation that comes with being a part of something so globally horrific as World War One, for example, which is what All Quiet on the Western Front depicts. Yeah, absolutely. I think I, I, I really I want to get into that, uh, that what you just mentioned, which is how it is a World War One movie. It is sort of this global uh, war that took place on sort of a sort of a enormous scale. That's actually kind of hard to comprehend uh, compared to a lot of other wars. And I think that is part of what makes this so uh, effective as a movie that is just damning of all combat. Because the, there's there's this conversation that's had uh, sort of midway through the movie between a lot of the a couple of the soldiers, I should say. Where they just bring up like, you know, who started this war? And none of them can really figure it out. They're like, well, one country got mad at another country uh, for like, you know, some some archduke was assassinated and that caused a that caused a rumble. And now because of that problem that these people are having, we have to give our lives and we have to have our lives ruined forever. And isn't that exciting? And they're all like, no, not really. But we just. We just kind of have to live with it. There's something about World War One that is just so effective in that way. Yes, Julia. Yeah, I would even say that, you know, the scene that you're bringing up is really, really vital, I think, to the entire messaging of the film. And it comes yeah. right after one of the most, one of the best sequences, I think, that the film has. Um, one of the most devastating that it has visually, especially. But I also would like to say, you know, they don't even in the in the way that they're talking about the war they don't even get to talking about the assassination of the duke they're just kind of milling about saying well one country offends another and you know one of the characters i think it might be albert who's who's one of the older gentlemen within the the soldier revelry uh says well what happens does a mountain get angry at a field and does a german mountain get angry (laughs) at a field in france it's a great line and so one of the younger men says oh what a group of people from one country offend another group of people from another country and albert says well i'm not offended so why am i here and it's just a really i think it's just such a really bold statement about especially these young men especially during that time when you know 
communication wasn't the same that it is today. And, you know, having the ability to have access to so many details and think pieces and various opinions on what is happening within the realm of the world, it just was not available. So to have these young men having this discussion and just kind of understanding from the perspective of the audience that these are just pawns who don't even know why they're being moved around the chessboard. They're just being pushed here and there. Yeah, they they don't know and they really, they don't have the capacity to care. It's been sort of exploded out of them viscerally by, by all this combat that we see. Um, and indeed, the combat in this movie is, is sort of one of a kind. It's a lot of war movies, um, it, even some of the great ones, even some of my favorite ones, like uh, Apocalypse Now, for instance. Um, that is a movie that depicts combat in a really brutal way, but also in like a really cinematically dynamic, exciting way, a way that's like fun to watch. And I think All Quiet on the Western Front is unique in that it's not, I wouldn't say it's unfun to watch, but the brutality of it is sort of at the forefront of the filmmakers. You can tell uh, very clearly that that is what they really want to highlight. And it comes across, there's a lot of really really brutal stuff in this movie just it just everything from the trenches which were very authentically recreated to the point where like sanitation workers were suspicious like is this safe for the actors uh apparently it was but it was that good that uh that had that question had to be brought up and yeah just just seeing the toll it takes on them over time is really effective uh will it's been a while since we've heard from you i want to know what um what is maybe a scene or an aspect of this movie either that we brought up or we haven't that uh that really leaps out to you as you as you think back to seeing the movie um i mean there are quite a few like you said i mean i'm kind of struck between both sides of the film which is that which are that um like you said like there's a visceral aspect of the war scenes which are able to be like pretty graphic and violent like that guy running in the barbed wire and like losing his eyes and i was wondering if like that was if that was the origin of like when you always see like those like memes like my eyes like from like uh spongebob and stuff like i didn't know if yeah, that yeah. was like dated back to that or not or if that was just me being uh my my brain being weird but um i wouldn't be surprised but uh yeah i mean like that's like that stuff always like, stands out but like you said like i think the the scenes that really resonate with me and i think that that make the movie work are like the like authentic the, the authentic sort of like camaraderie that's seen between the guys. And like, even when there's like kind of like these more like kind of melodramatic touches, like there's a sincerity to the characters and the performances and the writing that I really admired, especially like that scene you're talking about where it's just the, the group of them kind of like, just like, you know, like kind of like uh, having beans and uh, you know, discussing like, well, who started what? And it just like, there's it, it, this idea of like, in the end, it doesn't really matter, but like in a sense, like it, it does bring them closer, even if it does like, you know, kind of lead to their downfall. There's like this really kind of uh, like a nice quality to that. That's, that's kind of melancholy too, that I think th- that's what really stands out to me watching it. Yeah. Yeah. The, the camaraderie is, is very uh, infectious, I would say. Um, but you realize after a while, it's really all they have. Uh, I think I, I'm not going to give away the ending right now, but it, it's, you see by the time this movie concludes that death is kind of the only thing that awaits the life of a soldier. And whether that's actual literal death, 
Mm-hmm. It's the only certainty, yeah, in life in general, but especially in war, it's it's all the more dramatic as depicted in this movie, whether it's actually on the battlefield in the midst of, you know, the some heated conflict, or even just the, uh, which, how should I say, the sort of psychological toll, the, 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 the loss of the soul, you might say, that takes place to, uh, uh, in veterans from across the ages. And I think that's something very effective. Uh, Julia, I want to know, uh, there is there, there, I'm just going to come right out and say it. There are practically no women in this movie. Um, it's, it's, and that is not inconsistent with, uh, other war movies of the kind, but uh, or even like recent ones like Dunkirk. Yeah. Or, or uh, 1917. I thought of that's a lot. True, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, but I wanted to know how, how, if at all, I should say, uh, were you able to connect to these soldiers, uh, just sort of, just sort of as people, regardless of, uh, like who they were or how they acted and stuff? Well, I mean, you know, it's a film of a specific time period where that kind of, um, that lack of representation is kind of part and parcel to it. I kind of get really tired of, of the question and the debate of, well, there are no women in these war movies. And it's, you know, there are stories about women enduring the toll of war just as the same as there are about men, but from a very different perspective and from a very different front. Um, but I think just going back to this, you know, it's a story about, people being thrust into the dregs of humanity and having to survive. You know, you were bringing up the only certainty within this film is death. And I would even go as far to say that number one, death is one of the biggest characters that plays a role in the film. And number two, it's, I think the primary adversary that a lot of the characters are facing. It doesn't really matter who their, um, who their uh, enemy is, who their opponent is. Uh, it's It just all has to do with survival. There are a lot of moments, I think, too, that could possibly lend themselves to this very survivalist horror kind of quasi-genre that there are split seconds of throughout the film. Um, but yeah, I, I I get kind of tired of the, of the question of there aren't women in this film. How can women connect to it? It's still a very well-made, well-constructed film about a time period where it's part and parcel that men were sent. And there are stories of women that we just have yet to see that have yet to be depicted of them fighting a very different war. Yeah, that's totally fair enough. I totally get what you're saying. If, if my question came off as... Uh, trite oh no 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 yeah. no it, it definitely did but it's a <laughs> it's you know it's a question that's consistently brought up and i think that there's this uh conversation of you know if there isn't enough representation that must be not accurate enough and there are really great anachronistic depictions of history where we do see representation um from different races and genders and sexualities and what have you but again this movie was made in 1930 I, it wasn't something that was even thought of. It's still today. I think in terms of accuracy, people try, filmmakers in general, try to stay as close as they can to creating something that feel that felt as accurate as possible instead of trying to push boundaries, which there are certainly filmmakers who do that, I think, more often than there are. I think more often today than there are, were. Yeah, naturally. But it's I mean, sort of just the evolution of art. Yeah, go ahead. 
Yeah, I was gonna say, I mean, I don't want to speak over Julia, but I mean, it's it's I think like with anything, like there's not really any broad spectrum of like race depicted in this film or like, I mean, yeah, it's just like I'm, I I think like what Julia's saying is true. It's it's just that you you can recognize that like as cinema, as we look back on it, it is flawed in terms of representation, but you can't really entirely say like something is like negative because representation is there. It's, it's, a, it's a tricky balance, I do think. But I, I do think what Julia says is very apt and, and poignant right there. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think par- part of the reason why I brought it up is because uh, there's there's this quick sequence where they're in France. It's sort of a low period, and I don't want to get hung up on this or anything. But where uh, they just sort of they just sort of uh, gleefully sort of lust after these French women and just have the just have sort of a just have sort of an exciting time while it, just while they can, pretty much. So I was just curious if that came off as. Um, as as any any semblance of uh how should we say uh insensitive or anything but it sounds to me I, like uh it's not especially i don't think so especially because and i mean i have the uh previous knowledge of having taken some french when i was in school so i was able to pick up some of the language too and i think that the one thing that stood out to me especially in that scene was that um, Suzanne, the young woman that Paul spends the evening with, the thing that she keeps saying over and over again is poor boy, poor mm. boy. And it just brings you right back into the fact that this is, these are just kids who are just trying to survive. And this is one night where they get to actually have some semblance of if they want, if you want to call it normalcy or just human interaction. Um, it, it's, it just brings you back to that whole idea that. These are these poor boys, you know, just nothing good awaits them as soon as they walk out of that of that door. Yeah. Yeah. I think that I think that's very fascinating. I actually hadn't picked up on that, um, that uh, that translation. So that's fascinating to learn about. And I think that ties right into uh, another sequence I'd like to talk about. Unless, Will, you had anything uh, you wanted to mention about this scene in particular. But uh, not, yeah. not especially. I think there's a lot to discuss here. I don't want to. <laughs> keep it just on this but i i, I cool. do think there's a yeah i'm excited to see where we go from here cool yeah just making sure so um there is a a scene later on a lot of a lot of war has happened there's been death there's been horrific uh just just some of the most horrific stuff you could imagine there's and and we haven't even brought up just how horrifying uh or i guess we sort of have but we haven't gotten into detail about how just just how horrifying a lot of this trench warfare we see depicted is uh where they're just sort of trapped underground as the very ceiling is caving in on them it's really effective and the and the the violence and the uh the visceral nature of it is only one small piece of the puzzle but a very important one regardless and after a lot of that happens uh we see paul the main character uh played by lou Ayers, if we haven't said that yet um we see him get a little bit of a leave of absence it's like a week or five days or something like that goes back to uh, uh, his hometown, home village, perhaps, in Germany. Uh, and we see him just have no idea what to do. Like, life seems so kind of meaningless there uh, to the point where he even goes back to the very uh, school or classroom or whatever it is where that we see that speech given in the first scene of the movie and see all these other kids who I think are specifically designed to look really young. So it's this, it's, it's a really powerful sort of juxtaposition they give uh, with how, with this character that's more or less the same age and yet looks so much wearier than them. 
and see him just be like, yeah, there's it's war and we fight and that's it. There's no, there's nothing fulfilling about it. There's no, there's no real purpose to it that we can discern. We have no idea what difference we're making, if any. And the professor is, is really frustrated about this. Like, yes, but it's thrilling, isn't it? And it's exciting to get to the, to fight for the fatherland. And Paul's like, eh, sort of, <laughs> not, not especially. Um, I want to know, is this, uh, I want to hear from you, Julia, is that, how, how did that scene speak to you? Is that, was it uh, just sort of, compounding on the tragedy or how did you think yeah i think that it really reaffirms the true horror the terror and everything the toll that it really takes on the young boys at the beginning of the film who go off to be sent to the front because there's this romanticized nationalistic view of what they will be doing and how they will be helping when one after the other they're just killed in these brutal fashions and it's interesting that you bring up that scene because prior to it there's a scene where Paul is sitting with his father and two of his father's friends. And all three of the older gentlemen are trying to explain to Paul basically what he has to do and how the soldiers have what the soldiers have to do in order to, quote unquote, win the war, basically. And they just continue on and on. And Paul, I think, even says something to the effect of you know, it's it's a lot different when you're really there. You think that, you know, you can call these these kinds of shots, but it's it's completely different when you're in those trenches, when you're on that battlefield. And and that kind of just goes over the men's heads and they continue to talk about it. It just really validated this sort of um the other side of the story that we don't really see of everyone at home and how much this fuels this nationalistic energy that we all know due to history has continued on in Germany, especially. Um, I think that it's a really fascinating scene that really just drives home this uh, very brutal life that the young men have to experience in the short time that they experience it. Uh, feeling like they're doing something great when they know themselves. It's it's not at all that romanticized story that they were once told sitting in those very chairs in that schoolroom. Yeah, I think that's 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 a very uh, a very effective scene where just he sort of just gets fed up with it and is like, I don't there I I can learn nothing from this. You all you don't know anything. And I think uh, he kind of looks at those three characters in that uh, tavern that you were just mentioning. The same way he looks at that professor, like who clearly has not actually been to the war, or at least not to the same extent uh, that Paul or any of his fellow soldiers have. Uh, they just have they just have no concept of what it actually is like. Um, and I think this movie it, that's kind of that if if there is a mission statement of this movie, it's depicting that as much as possible. Just how completely frivolous, just how uh, uh, completely arbitrary war really is at the end of the day and everything from that scene we just uh discussed to uh the earlier scene where they're talking about who started the war and everything i think that's really fascinating um i think it is it's it's at this point i want to get a little bit into um sort of the national side of this movie uh or international or whatever phrase you want to use uh this is the germans and this is uh before the Nazi party really rose and started to take over, but they were certainly, they they were certainly out there. Um, And in fact, the, the Nazi party 
really hated this movie. They thought it was like anti-German and made them look weak. Uh, and if the Nazis hated it, I'm going to say that's a good sign that this is actually uh, uh, something really powerful. And to the point where they, after they started rising to power, they outlawed this movie from 1933 to uh sources differ but somewhere in the mid 60s like around or, or uh, 50s i should say like the like 1956 is when this movie was outlawed so they really did not want the world to see this and uh i mean it just it just got me to thinking like imagine if that had not been outlawed like like ha- would world war ii have turned out as differently i mean I, I know it's a lot to a lot of uh meaning to heap onto this movie but you just wonder if it could have had an impact so that's uh, really fascinating. And I want to know, uh, Will, I want to hear from you first. Uh, do, do you think like how, how is just your estimation? I know we don't, we'll never know for sure, but, uh, how do you think this movie plays differently now in 2020 or even just the 21st century in general, uh, as compared to when it first was released in 1930? Like, obviously there's been some history since then. I think like anything, looking back on film, there's something that's like kind of quaint about it. And I don't, like I said, I don't really mean that in a derogatory kind of way, just kind of looking at it uh, as like a product of its time. Like there was something that was, um, you know, like if we're looking at this film as like one of the very first like films to really depict the terrors and the horrors and the sustaining trauma of war, like this film, like considering like, how the genre has evolved. There is something that even if it is fairly brutal, it is, you know, it's not like fully like exploring the, like every like terror and like that, not like doing anything as extreme as other films. So I think if you were to like watch this film and then like Black Hawk down, like back to back, Hmm. you would be like, Oh, okay. Yeah. This is kind of (laughs) not not quite as, uh, as hitting, but not, not to say that isn't, uh, as effective it just that i think in that sense i guess if that might answer your question but like if you were to look at maybe as like compared to something like i guess like you're saying like maybe dunkirk or 1917 um i think those films like well maybe more so 1917 like there's like this like temptation almost kind of like be nostalgic or like maybe even like verge on romanticizing because like the camera work and like like so much of filmmaking is first and foremost in it that uh, there's yeah. like that danger of doing that. And I think this film being such an early film and being such a like trendsetter, I think it mostly avoids that. And you can, I mean, maybe you to disagree, but um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess those are some things that stand out to me. Like I, I think something I really admire about this film as opposed to 1917 is that while I think that film works, I think like the filmmaking almost kind of makes like an artifice at times of uh, the war. Like I think there's some key scenes in there that are really effective and really I really like, but like because the style is so first and foremost, like I, I get the sense that like I don't really get the full scope of the the war, and I, I know that, that goes against some reviews of that film, but that's how I remember yeah. feeling afterwards. But I, I never really got that sense, like even like beyond like the kind of like like old fashioned like kind of like verging on hokey acting of this. Like I think all that is done in a fairly effective and hard hitting way. And I I didn't really get that as much with 1917. So I guess in that sense, I would say for the most part, it really does hold up quite well in modern lens. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I was thinking a lot about uh, 1917 too, partly because it's recent, but it is also world war one. And that movie is uh, 1917. That is 
that movie takes a very reverent approach to uh, sort of the the soldier's experience. It makes it look like it could be really exciting with a lot of the, you know, sort of the video game storytelling tactics that it's used. By the way, I love 1917, but this is just uh, the way if we're contrasting the two movies. Um, there's a way to look at the movie 1917 and and think that it is on the verge, if not well in the midst of propaganda when it comes to uh, just showing the experience of war as something really exciting and really worthwhile and noble to do. Uh, whereas this movie, uh, uh, All Quiet on the Western Front, it, it might be that very thing that you mentioned, which is the cinematography. Uh, uh, the uh, Arthur Edison was the cinematographer for All Quiet on the Western Front. Oscar nominated, didn't win, sadly. Um, it's very matter of fact. There's not a lot of in like incredibly exciting swooping shots across the battlefield and like slow motion Terrence Malick, uh, thin red line kind of stuff. Um, that's something that really stood out to me is just how sort of cold and stark it is. Uh, it also helps that there is no soundtrack. So that might be part of it. Um, we've talked a lot about the sort of the anti-war leanings on this movie, but Julia, I want to know, uh, just if you had to really kind of sum it up, um, what would you say is, uh, maybe one thing or a couple things about All Quiet on the Western Front that sets it apart from other war movies when it comes to denouncing the idea of combat in this kind. I think you used a really great term uh, when you were just speaking just now, and it's it's a very cold film. It really puts that space in between the audience and and the characters and the story that this is something very cruel. It's something that's very tragic that happens within, you know, each person's lifetime. We have to experience something to this gravity. Um, I also want to bring up the point that you made of the lack of soundtrack, I think really helps the film way more than it hinders it. I think that soundtracks more often than not and, and beautiful orchestrations really add to that kind of sweeping, romantic, heroic, um, disposition that we get from a lot of war movies. But the lack of that within All Quiet on the Western Front makes it just feel so insular and yet also so epic and, and grand and so sprawling. And I think more than anything, what what it demonstrates is is the real toll in terms of the mental toll, the physical toll very much so, and the the toll on lives and loss of innocence and humanity that is is really taken out on the young men that are put into that position yeah that's that's really fascinating um just uh it it it, uh what's what's the phrase i'm looking for it takes it it make it has no illusions about absolutely not just kind of the the real nonsense of it all and we've seen again i i mentioned this again we've seen this throughout history how it's just all of it is just so fraught with uh, 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 nonsense when it comes to uh, wars throughout the ages. Um, there is there's one other scene a little bit towards the end I want to I want to touch on specifically. But first, I want to know, uh, Will, I'll ask you first. Uh, are there any other scenes that we haven't mentioned yet, or any other sequences, line of dialogue, aspects of the movie, what have you, uh, that you want to make sure that we get to uh, bring up? Um, well. 
the one thing that I don't think we really talked about that I was really taken by was I don't know his name, but the like sergeant kind of actor, the the guy with like the kind of weird nose. Um, uh, yes, that was that is K- Kaczynski, uh, played by Louis Wolheim. Yeah, I just I just love everything about this performance. <laughs> just like <laughs> the brashness of it, the like kind of like like the chutzpah of it, and it also just like like the look of his character. Is just like yeah. like especially at this time like it, it, there's something about it that like is like just kind of like odd and it's instinctive in a way that like like I never doubt for a second that this guy has lived a life that has seen things and that like like his viewpoint is so much about like what what kind of paints the film and like kind of like informs a lot of the film away from the uh, younger actors and I think in a lot of sense like he kind of like ties it all together. Uh, in a way that I, I think is worth championing and celebrating. I, I, I was just all about this performance. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I was I was reading up on this actor a little bit. Uh, and yeah, he had had a very long, extensive career throughout the silent era. And this was actually something of a, not necessarily a breakout role, but a role that really got him noticed by a lot of studios. They're like, oh, wow, that guy could be a really great character actor. And it's it's really tragic to, to say this, but uh, he tragically died on less than a year after all quiet on the Western front, completely out of nowhere. Like it was uh, really unexpected. So oh, uh, who knows what, what great performances and characters we might've yeah, might sure. gotten, but yeah, this one that we got is, is uh, fantastic regardless. Uh, Julia, I want to know, is there anything else uh, that you want to touch on? I think that we covered a a lot and had a lot of really great conversation about this film. I just think that it's such a, it's so interesting to see in 1930, especially pre-World War II time, um, this fervor of, of anti-war messaging in this two over two hour epic. Um, And then it's fascinating also to see kind of it's, it's, how it influenced so many films afterwards. I mean, one of my favorite post-World War II films I think you might have talked about actually on The Extra Milestone is um, uh, The Best Years of Our Lives. Uh, we yeah. haven't gotten to that one, actually. I think that I think that's uh, 46, somewhere around there. Yeah, uh, yeah. So that'll be next year. Yeah, uh, I, it's, it's one of my favorite post-World War II films. And it also in its own very it's a lot more intimate. It's, it's all from, it's all post-World War II uh, coming from, you know, these families who um, have these men in their lives who are adjusting back to civilian life. And it too, just, it really hits home for a lot of, you know, the real tool that it takes um, on the young men who were sent over and over again and asked so much um, and, and knew very little as, as we saw in all quiet on the Western front, there's always this question, lingering question of, why us? Why now? What happened to to make this occur? Um, it, I think that it's it's a really great film that I think has stood the test of time and has really influenced a lot of further anti war pictures. Whether it's uh, whether it's Dunkirk or The Hurt Locker or um, Saving Private Ryan, especially, which kind of teeters on both heroicism and ro- romanticization, as well as yeah. being incredibly graphic and and really hitting on the 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 reason why war is such a devastating and, and horrific event. And it's all just, you know, we can all sit back and watch this cinema and just as a depiction without having to really come to terms with the 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 true gruesomeness and seeing that over and over again, as, as so many men have borne witness to. 
over the years. Uh, I just think it's it's such a great film. It's it's one of my favorite early Oscar winners. And um, yeah, I would completely recommend it to any of your dedicated listeners to really check it out and invest some time into it. I think it's just a staggering picture, both in its visual language, as well as the introspection that it gives the young men on screen. Yeah, that's 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 really uh, that's really great to hear. I, I love what you mentioned, that little phrase, uh, just from the soldier's perspective of why us? Uh, and as we see time and time again in this movie and elsewhere, uh, there's no real reason why. There's no reason why any of this had to happen or why you had to go through it. It's just what we've got. And it sucks. And it really sucks. I, 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 I think I speak for all three of us when I say uh, we've never fought in a war. Um, but uh, just if it's anything like the experience I've seen throughout various uh, mediums, it's really horrific, and I think this movie is one of the definitive, uh, one of the definitive works of art when it comes to exploring that. And I think there is one, just it's not even a whole scene; it's just one part of a scene, really late in the movie, that I think kind of encapsulates the entire thing. It is when um, it's after Paul comes back from uh, his leave, rather frustratedly, like he just said, "I can't stand it here. I just I got to get back to the battlefield. That's all I know now." Heads back to. Uh, to the front and sees uh, Kaczynski, who we just brought up. And they're like, hey, it's good to see you again. They start running across the field to like embrace each other. And then like when they're almost halfway across the field, they're like, oh, and they duck and a bomb lands right near them. And they think nothing up and they just get right back up and keep going. Like that's how desensitized they've been to it uh, through no fault of their own whatsoever. And that really, that just one little moment really got to me. Um, there, there are a couple of things we didn't get to that I just want to mention, just little fun facts I found about the movie. Um, there, when it came to, uh, authenticity, uh, Lewis Milestone, the director was really, uh, was really adamant about making sure that everything looked accurate, wanted to get it sort of authenicated by actual veterans, uh, uh German veterans, if he could. Uh, are so he's saying did a little... that Milestone was extra. I was, I, I, I was, was trying to uh, figure out a way to do that joke. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> I was there. There was a pause after you said, "Are you saying?" I'm like, "Oh, Will's gonna have a great one." <laughs> yeah, I would say milestone was very extra in this case. Has been for ninety years now. Uh, but anyway, yeah. He and and so he was. He did a little bit of research so, and found out: Are there any veterans living in Los Angeles that I can uh, get in contact with? Turns out there were literally thousands, like something in the ballpark of two thousand. Uh, veterans of world war one were living there and he actually decided well hell i'll make i'll let them be extras in the movie assuming that won't be uh, uh traumatizing or triggering in any way and so there are actually a lot of veterans in this movie as extras and bit characters milestones one extras. of them milestones extras. <laughs> you never disappoint will uh one of them i was fascinated to find out is future director fred zinnemann who directed uh high noon uh, and uh, a few other movies that I can't remember. Uh, Julia is one of them, and uh, Man for All Seasons. That's really that was really fascinating to find out. Um, and uh, we haven't brought it up because it's not a huge important part of the movie or anything. But this is 1930. It did go into production shortly after uh, the big stock market crash that started the Great Depression. And the fact that they and this this is a big budget movie. You can tell uh, just by watching it and seeing compared to other movies of the era. 
uh, it was not a cheap movie. And so the, the fact that the studio universal, they decided to win it, uh, go ahead with it. Uh, that was a huge gamble and it really paid off. It was a success in many ways. It was, uh, critically, uh, uh, claimed from, from many circles, except the Nazis, but it's not like they count. And, uh, as, as we mentioned before, won the third Academy Award for Best Picture. I believe at the time it was called Outstanding Production, which is a, a much loftier title that I'm not, uh, I, I do not disapprove of, but Best Picture is just as good as far as I'm concerned. And, uh, also won, uh, Lewis Milestone, his second Academy Award for Best Director. Uh, he'd won his first in for two Arabian Nights at the first Academy Award. So this makes him the first two time winner. Um, and uh, this was this was fascinating to me because a lot of movies that we talked about, especially some of the older ones, have lapsed into the public domain. Uh, as it turns out, All Quiet on the Western Front is such a big deal. It does not go into the public domain until 2026. So you do have to pay to see it. It's not uh, available on the Internet Archive or anything, uh, well, but it's um, well worth it. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I saw it. Uh, I don't know how you two saw it, but it's available for free right now on the streaming service Peacock for free. Oh, no kidding. Um, Good to know. Yeah. That's how I don't know how you two saw it, but um, if you want to check it out after this conversation or before this conversation, it's there. You know, you, all you have to do is just uh, sign up, but you don't need to have a uh, subscription or anything. It's free right now. Good to know. Okay, so so take it from Will. It is is it available on Peacock? I've actually never heard of that streaming service. Uh, it just so came out neat. this week. <laughs> that's why it was very. Did convenient. it really? Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Like literally, oh, like well, two days ago, I think. They have all quiet on the Western Front, so that works out nicely for them. Um, We've talked about a lot. I think I have, I have one final question. And uh, Julia, when you mentioned the best years of our lives, uh, this, this led me to believe there are obviously lots and lots of war movies all throughout the ages. Um, I want to know uh, if you had to make like, like if you wanted to recommend uh, a double feature to do with all quiet on the Western front, I know I'm kind of putting you two on the spot, but is there one specific movie that you would say really compliments it? Uh, and, uh, and, uh, Julia, I'll start with you. W- would you go with the uh, best years of our lives or is there something else? Oh, I think, um, to kind of give some space, but also have a film that also depicts the brutality in very graphic nature. I think, uh, platoon would be a really interesting, uh, second film to watch Ooh. alongside all quiet on the Western front. That also has a lot more of the sweeping musical moments that kind of, I wouldn't say it, it makes it romanticizes it. I think it's one of the more brutal war depictions of, of war, especially the Vietnam war that, that we have seen. Yeah. And, um, I, I would definitely, I think that, that that's also a film that I haven't revisited since I watched it because it is very, it's a very, very intense film, does not hold back. Um, but I would say something along those lines, Platoon would probably be a very uh, interesting watch alongside All Quiet on the Western Front. That's a very good choice. I had not even thought about that. I love that. Uh, Will, did, did, does something leap to mind when it comes to uh, pairing something with All Quiet on the Western Front? Uh, the first one that came to mind was Pass of Glory, I guess. Um, yeah. Not for any particular reason, like maybe just because they're both black and white. <laughs> but um, and they're, all, they're both World War One, and they're both yeah. very anti-combat. Yeah. Um, I guess more recently, though, um, the Peter Jackson documentary, the They Shall Not Grow Old. Oh, restored I know, of, yeah. Uh, World War One footage with the restored imagery. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, especially with this film, I was going to bring this up as well. I don't know if you guys are, are if you too know the answer or not but so the original cut of this film 
I guess was like 152 minutes long. And then this restored one is about 133 minutes. So I guess somewhere around yes. the lines of like 50 or so minutes got lost in time. I don't know if you two know what was lost or if anyone really knows what exactly was the difference between the original cut and this one. Uh, I, I actually do happen to know that. Uh, I Thank you for bringing that up. I completely forgot to bring that up. Uh, yeah, so uh, All Quiet on the Western Front, when it was filmed, they filmed it with two different cameras right next to each other. And the idea was one camera was for uh, the sound version and the other was going to be the same movie, but silent. Uh, they, they, they would not have a synchronized audio track. And the idea was that was the one they would send to other countries so that they could also see it as well. And so actually that 152 minute cut is the version that went out uh, around the world to non-English speaking countries. Hmm, and so the, the extra uh, 20 or so minutes, that's all in our titles. As far as I can tell, there might have, there may have been like a scene or two that's get, that's been lost along the way, but that is actually mostly uh, just the time taken to display the dialogue in the screen. So thank you so much for bringing that up. Yeah, I no, I mean, I was just curious because, yeah, no, I mean, I was just curious because I just didn't know. Because um, I initially was like looking for like the 152 minute version. Like I was thinking I was going to be missing something. And then like I was just doing a quick Wikipedia search. I'm like, oh, okay, this is like the actual, like this is the version we've got right now. So. I'm not missing yeah. anything too. Cru- I mean, as far as I know, we're not missing anything too crucial. But um, yeah, it was just something that stuck out to me. I was curious about what what the difference was there. But that's good to know. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. If you see the version that's available on a variety of streaming services, you're seeing you're seeing the movie, or uh, you're you're really not missing anything. Uh, I will. You actually took my double feature. I was also going to say Pass the Glory. Uh, that is one of my very favorite movies. Uh, early Stanley Kubrick movie utterly fantastic but i have another one uh and this is kind of for those who have seen it it's kind of the holy grail when it comes to absolutely horrific brutal almost unwatchable to the point where it's been over half a decade since i've seen it and i have not had the 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 guts to go back so to speak it is Elim Klimov's come and see i don't know if either of you have ever heard of this movie just got a criterion release yeah i'm um, very I've been wanting to see this one very much since I've been hearing about it a lot recently. It will destroy you. I don't have you seen Come and See Julia? I have not. I think that it's been getting a lot of comparisons to um a film that recently came out though and I'm I'm losing uh the the title is escaping my mind, but it too is a black and white film that from what I have read is absolutely devastating. So, uh continue to talk. I'll look up the the name of that film while we're speaking. Yeah, Come and See is um, is a, a movie about uh, World War II, a kid who gets just abducted out of, completely out of the blue into the Russian uh, war, sort of this little insurgent group. And it is some of the most horrific war imagery you will ever see. It is devastating, and I would be amazed if I ever have the, have the, uh, have the courage to go back to it. Um, the film that I was trying to look up, excuse the interjection, but uh, the film that that has been getting comparisons to uh, is The Painted Bird, which I believe has recently mm. uh, been released or, or some of our uh, colleagues oh, yeah. critics have had the opportunity to review it. Yeah, I heard that's brutal. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm very that's curious. I, yeah, I'm very curious uh, and, and I guess uh, uh, trepidatious, I guess, to watch that film <laughs> from what I've heard. Uh, I don't know if you, I don't know what you've heard, Julia, but it sounds pretty pretty intense for sure. Oh, absolutely! I'm gonna have to keep an eye out for that one. Thank you for letting me know that. 
and yeah, I think with, with that, I think that is our conversation. Will, Julia, thank you so much for joining me on this month's uh, big, epic, extra milestone. I had a ton of fun. I hope you did as well. Oh, thank you so Absolutely. much. Cool. Yeah. Uh, let, let's, uh, let, let's do the rounds. Julia, where can the listeners find you online if they are so inclined and they should be? So you can see some of my previous bylines here at Cinemaholics. You can also check me out at Film School Rejects, Polygon, Girls on Tops, and The Playlist, among others. Fascinating. I, I, listeners, do yourself a favor and look into the works of Julia Tatey. You will not be disappointed. Will, where can they find you besides on Cinemaholics every single week? Where can you be found on the interwebs? Yeah, I mean, cinemaholics.com for sure. And then I write for Cinema Blend. Uh, if you want to check out my daily writing, that's where you can find it. Awesome, awesome. And I am uh, on Letterboxd as always. And of course, uh, I host this show every week. So never fear. I'm never more than seven days away. And I think that just about does it for our show. So we will sign off as we always do. From the internet, Colorado, I am Sam Noland. From the internet, Pennsylvania, I'm Lashin. From the internet, where it's all quiet on the Western Front, I'm Julia Tatey. Very nice, very nice. And we will see you on the next Extra Milestone.